Welcome back to another episode of the Leap Into Wellness podcast. I'm here with my co-host Anya. Hello. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about hormones today. And so we're happy to be here. This is our uh, podcast. Uh, we try and put one out each week for the folks at LeGrand School District. And we just talk about topics of health and wellness. And we've uh, first off before we like get straight into what we're talking about today. I want to thank everyone that uh, took some time to come out to the cooking class last week. Uh, how was it, Anya? It was really fun. We had a pretty good turnout. I think we had seven or eight people. Um, we made a really good meal. We got a lot of cool suggestions for podcast episodes. We got a lot of cool questions. We had some good discussion. So yeah, I had a great time. So, and then that led to discussions uh, between Anya and I, where we, we had a couple ideas of, of different things that we were going to do. And so we're going to kind of set up for today um, a big overview and, and just a very general information regarding hormones. Now, we, we've talked about these things. Uh, we've talked about the impact that different lifestyle choices and dietary choices can have on hormones, but we've never like taken a step back and really talked about like what the endocrine system does, why it's um, kind of, it, it can be difficult to get our heads around because it's so dynamic. Um, it responds to just about everything that you do. Um, but in, in, in other episodes where we've mentioned it, we've talked about sleep and circadian rhythm. That is impacted significantly by a variety of different hormones. We've talked about insulin sensitivity and blood sugar. Uh, that's affected by hormones. We've had a lot of questions about specific hormones. So things like, uh, and, and medications that can impact hormones. So things like GLP-1 inhibitors or, or the brand name for that is Ozempic. Um, people have asked about that. People have asked about thyroid hormone. Um, there's, so, so there's, there's a lot of confusing information when it comes to hormones and hopefully, uh, we, I don't think we're going to lower the confusion, but I think we have an opportunity to, um, put you in a place where you more brace the confusion or, or the confusion's not so frustrating because, once you sort of acknowledge that that hormones are kind of confusing, they do a lot of different things under a lot of different circumstances, and even the same hormone sometimes does different things depending on the circumstances. Uh, once we can appreciate that then and sort of accept that, hormones start to become less frustrating. We're complex biological systems. <laughs> That's right. We're complex <laughs> biological systems, which is... Uh, something I say a lot, uh, I've probably mentioned it in the podcast, but I also say that in my classes all the time, we can't, we can't expect there to be just one right thing. And, and, uh, I think so, so I know we're kind of joking about that cause I say it all the time, but it's actually a super important thing to appreciate because, uh, it will help people when they're consuming confusing information. And what I mean by that is that the the feedback I get a lot when I give nutrition talks, uh, especially to the public and in like the non-scientific community, is that, uh, well, I just don't understand what to do because I heard this podcast and they said this, and then I saw this on Instagram and they said that, and they seem like contradictory things, but they're talking about the same hormone, for example. And it can get really 
frustrating where people just kind of want to throw their hands up like cholesterol used to be bad for us now it's fine uh dark chocolate is good for us in some times and it's really bad for us other times what what's the deal with that and people the reality is there's no one size fits all approach and there's no like one thing on any topic of um when you're talking about nutrition right and i think that a message that we want to make very clear at the beginning of this episode is that we're not trying to promote a really kind of neurotic, obsessive, try and optimize every single hormone view, because that's just not feasible. It's not realistic. So that's not what we're trying to do. We just want to give a really broad overview about what hormones are, their basic mechanisms, how they work, and how it applies to you. Yeah, exactly. And, And in addition to that, it's how we can gain some understanding of them so that we can have a little bit of awareness of what they're likely doing at certain times throughout the day, whether we're sleeping, awake, exercising, relaxing, eating, or not eating. Plus, it's super cool. It, it, uh, for those of you that, that like the like nerding out about this stuff, it is really, and that's the point. Like, if you wanted this to be math, where there is just one concrete answer at all times, then you might not think it's super cool. But if you're open to just embracing the complexity and the the scenario-based kind of uh, factors that go into this topic, then I think you'll think it's really cool. (laughs) As Kyle was doing that intro, I was thinking, I'm having a hormonal response right now. Every time I start these podcasts, I get a surge of adrenaline. I, I don't know if you can see my hand shaking a little bit. Every time. It's just funny. That's where, that's where my mind went. The hormones impact almost everything. So are you ready to... Yeah, let's get this? started. Yeah, you kind of have an idea of, of how you want to... Maybe you don't, or maybe you're too stressed right now to... Uh, to, to have the clarity that you uh, maybe thought I, you would? I'm having, adrenaline is sharpening my cognitive abilities oh, got right it, now. got it. So you're, uh, so this is interesting because there's even a, uh, th- there is a thing called an arousal curve. Right. And the arousal curve is an upside down U where the, it, in terms of its relationship with performance and, and clear thinking, where if you're too aroused, uh, performance decreases. If you're under aroused, performance decreases. But if you're like right at the sweet spot where where you're kind of fired up and focused, that's where uh, performance is at its highest. I feel like that's where I am right okay, now. Okay, perfect. perfect, my, my, perfect. I'm, not, I'm not falling apart. Okay, good, 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 good. All right. Uh, I know I just asked you where you want to start, but I'm just going to do it because I think there's a really important place when you're talking about hormones to start. And this is, this is something I use when, when I'm teaching the endocrine system for the first time in, in exercise physiology and in nutrition. And I think it, it's, it really contextualizes and puts, um, sort of a a system in place for trying to understand what hormones do and, and maybe, when they're acting and when they aren't acting. And so the first thing that I, that I think we want to recognize is that hormones fall generally, there's always exceptions, but generally into two major categories. And it's what we call catabolic hormones and anabolic hormones. So uh, Anya, what are some examples of like anabolic processes? 
anabolic processes involve building things up so the opposite of like breaking down protein or breaking down fat so an anabolic process would be for example insulin insulin signaling taking glucose in after you eat let's back up before we name specific hormones because insulin is one of the most powerful anabolic hormones like what are the anabolic processes that that a hormone like insulin so just so we have an idea of what we mean by this is an anabolic hormone right well Basically, things associated with recovery will be anabolic. So protein synthesis. Right. um, We're in an anabolic state when we're sleeping. We're typically in an anabolic state when we're resting. Although Anya is, uh, uh, she's probably in more of a catabolic flight or flight state right now because she's fired up for this podcast. So it's really context dependent. It's Again, it's not just... um, there's gray in there. It's not just black or white where, okay, Anya's sitting right now. She's not producing any physical work, but she's probably not optimized in terms of recovery and protein synthesis and those types of things. Why I like thinking of these things in anabolic and catabolic is because the anabolic state is typically associated with our parasympathetic nervous system. And of course, the parasympathetic nervous system is driven by hormones. And just like our sympathetic nervous system is. Um, So parasympathetic nervous system, uh, we often refer to as our rest or digest system. Uh, So rest and digest, parasympathetic, anabolic, that's all kind of one side of a big umbrella. So when we talk about things like IGF-1 and testosterone and estrogen and um, growth hormone and insulin, these are anabolic hormones and they're associated with recovery and adaptation to exercise, uh, et cetera. You know how I like to remember the difference between anabolism and catabolism? I do not. <laughs> well, catabolic, it's like a cat tractor. Oh, <laughs> it like breaks stuff down. Yeah. So I like that. If if you're hearing like anabolic, catabolic, how do I know the difference? If yeah. we say catabolic, just think of a tractor coming and breaking stuff down. <laughs> like That's it. how I remember. I like it. Uh, yeah, I like it. Uh, that, was, that was kind of a preview. So if anabolism is, is building tissue and recovering, catabolic processes are the opposite of that. So that's yeah. the other major class of hormones. Well, well, right, right. Just before we, swi- before we switch to catabolic, there's one more point about anabolic that I want to make is in that a, a lot of people confuse, I'm not, I'm not uh, accusing anyone out there, but uh, a lot of people confuse uh, anabolism or anabolic state with nothing. Uh, so it's like if, if for example, in, in an anabolic state, for example, we do store fat and we do store like carbohydrates in the form of glycogen and we drive those synthetic processes. On the other hand, protein synthesis is energy requiring. So if you were to just lay in bed awake all day and do nothing, you would still burn a lot of calories, even though you were in an anabolic state. So anabolic state does not mean not burning calories. And I think that's actually really important. Your bioenergetic pathways keep functioning. Your bioenergetic pathways are functioning. Yeah, and your heart's beating, your kidneys are working, your liver's working, your brain is working, your lungs are working. Um, There's muscle tissue maintenance, there's bone synthesis. And so our cells are always breaking down and turning over. It's the rate at which they're doing that that dictates if you're in what's called an anabolic state or a catabolic state. So as we transition to catabolic state and we say things like breaking down, in, in an anabolic state, we're still using a lot of energy 
um, even though we're building things up because it takes energy to build things up. If you think about it in terms of net output. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's like a cycle as opposed to an on and off switch. So there's a balance between breakdown and buildup. When you're in an anabolic state, the, the balance of power is shifted towards an, uh, building up and there's less breaking down. When you're exercising, you're breaking down and you're not building up. So that's our catabolic state. So, uh, and the catabolic state is associated with uh, the sympathetic nervous system or the fight or flight system. So you have catabolic, fight or flight, sympathetic nervous system, that's one umbrella. Then you have hormones that are driving and regulating parasympathetic nervous system, which is rest or digest, which is also anabolic. And so if we, and I think it's important to, to, to establish these terms up front because we want to be able to use these things freely when we say, oh, you're transitioning into an anabolic state or when you're exercising, you're in a catabolic state and you realize that that's sympathetic nervous system, parasympathetic nervous system, and that those things, those two things are balancing each other over the course of 24 hours, basically. And, and they can be positive balance, negative balance, or a net neutral balance. So for example, I have an eight and a 10 year old, they grow like an inch every month. So their net anabolism is greater than their net catabolism or their net protein synthesis is greater than their net protein breakdown because we're accruing tissue. A weight stable individual, is in basically balance between these two things where um, they're maintaining their muscle mass and they're maintaining their body mass. Um, it doesn't mean that they're not breaking things down. It just means that they're building it up at the same rate that they're breaking it down. So thinking of that, a, a lot of times in, in nutrition and in biology, we use um, a pool analogy. So we have a pool that say is three feet deep and it has an inflow of water and an outflow of water. And so the outflow of water is catabolism, the inflow of water is anabolism or anabolic. And if those two things are balanced, the level of the pool stays the same. If there's increased outflow, the level of the pool is going to drop. So that would be um, like, uh, um, yeah, that would be a person that's chronically in a catabolic state. And if a person's chronically in an anabolic state, uh, that would be more inflow and, and you keep the outflow the same. And so now the water is going to rise. I know we've thrown a lot of analogies and, and sort of uh, visualizations at you, but I think it's important to do that in multiple ways because uh, so that it clicks in some way um, in your brain with how you compartmentalize these things. Yeah. A topic that we want to do in the next few weeks that I'm really excited for that relates to that is fasting and time-restricted eating. There are some really, really interesting hormonal mechanisms when you restrict your eating to certain periods of the day. For adults. For adults, yes. Yeah. That's this a very really important, important. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, so so I'm excited to talk about that too, but I think the, those those discussions, so the discussion around like Ozempic and GLP-1 inhibitors, the discussion around insulin, uh, the discussion just around hormones in general, I think it's much, much more impactful if we have these two concepts in our brain, like 
anabolic is building up, catabolic is breaking down. The other thing is, is that, you know, the process when you put those two things together, whenever we exercise, we're in a catabolic state. So there's not a lot of like protein synthesis and exercise adaptation occurring while we're actually exercising. So when we're exercising, we're stimulating the system. We have our sympathetic hormones are up, our rest and digest hormones are down, and there is muscle breakdown. As we move away from exercise and into the recovery period, we move away from the catabolic state and into the anabolic state. And in that, you end up having more protein synthesis, hopefully, than you had protein breakdown because of your stimulus. And so one of the unique things about humans is we overdo our response to a given stimuli. And, and this concept is called supercompensation. And so what happens is I go for a run and let's say I run uh, for a couple weeks and my average pace is 10 minutes per mile. Well, eventually I'm gonna be able to run faster than 10 minutes per mile because my body, even though it's only been stimulated to run 10 minute mile intensity, it overdoes the response to that, which gives me increased capacity. And this, in essence, is what we call getting into shape. And in that process, the anabolic period where you're recovering and getting that adaptation is really, really important. Yeah, and it's, well, so is the catabolic process, because yes. you can't, and, and as we'll talk about, um, over-inducing growth signals when the body hasn't been stimulated to respond to anything can actually be really unhealthy. And this is what leads a lot of people to having positive weight gain and increased insulin resistance and uh, starts to you know, uh, cause some of the complications that we talked about in our blood sugar episode. Yeah, we have actually mentioned quite a few hormones in previous episodes. We've mentioned cortisol, We've mentioned melatonin. We've mentioned insulin. We've mentioned growth hormone a couple times. Epinephrine and epinephrine, norepinephrine. So I'm excited to get into those mechanisms a little bit more. Do you want to talk a little bit about the physiology of the endocrine system? Yeah. So so I think there's a way to do that without without being overwhelming. I think it's a good cue. Um, you're teeing me up. Good job, co-host. Um, so so I think the main thing to get out of this is that. Uh, so the second major concept, once, once you have this idea of like anabolic and catabolic, and then we can put, uh, we can assign those labels to different states that your body is in under different periods of time. So we can say when you're resting, you're anabolic, when you're exercising, you're catabolic real quick. I have to do a quick aside because I just think this is too cool. Um, there's very few examples in nature of um, organisms that can uh, be in an anabolic and catabolic state at the same time. But my favorite example of this, is, usually in humans, these are distinct uh, categories that you're in. You're either in an anabolic state or you're in a catabolic state. Um, my favorite, though, is in uh, certain breeds of sled dogs. They can adapt to training while they're training. So they literally, uh, they have these amazingly elegant studies demonstrating that um, these dogs are actually adapting to aerobic exercise and increasing their capacity for aerobic exercise while they're exercising. 
I have too much reading to do already, Kyle. Now you're making me want to go and read about that. It, for, for intellectually curious individuals, the, these are the types of things that uh, just like, that. that's like a starting gun. And, it's really uh, cool. It's so cool. Yeah, it's so cool. So they adapt in real time. They just like put a pin in that and read okay, about yes, it later. That, that's why I said it's an aside. All right, so without getting further sidetracked, um, the the second thing that, that we want to think about from a general sense with hormones is that, okay, so we, we know that they're responsible for signaling in these catabolic and anabolic states that our body is in. And that means that it, it brings us to this better understanding that we can picture in our head that our bodies are always taking in information and they're always responding to whatever information they're in in that moment. So if you are at rest, that's actually a signal. If you've eaten, that is a signal. If you're exercising, that is a signal. If you're stressed, that is a signal. If you're sleeping, that is a signal. So your body is constantly taking in the information uh, about its current situation. And then it's telling your, your central nervous system and your nervous system is taking in that information, right? Our senses are taking in that information. And then they are they are telling the rest of the body what's going on. And that communication takes place through hormones. So for example, we'll go back to our earlier example where Anya is not exercising right now, but because her senses, like because she's putting an undue amount of stress on herself to do well in this podcast, her nervous system is sensing the, the pressure and the need to perform and the need to execute mentally. And now the nervous system senses that and sends signals to the rest of her body in order to get ready for the action or for the thing that, that we are sensing. But you know what's cool about that is because I have some knowledge of the underlying mechanisms of sympathetic stimulation. I can feel that and recognize what's happening in my body and not beat myself up for it. Yeah, exactly. So this is, and, and that is a signal. <laughs> that in and of itself is a signal, not to get like too meta about this or, or uh, you know, inception, like dream within a dream about it. But, but the point is, is like what, what she's expressing there is also a signal. So her central nervous system goes, oh, so we, we're just in a kind of a place where we need to be focused, not like worried for our life, for example. And then it modulates that in a way that gives her a balanced response. And some of it you can control with your conscious brain, but a lot of this is controlled with what I uh, lovingly refer to as the uh, lizard brain. Your lizard brain is like the part of your brain that's unconscious. It's, it's not, it's doing stuff and you have no idea. And your conscious brain can try and communicate with your lizard brain, and then sometimes the lizard brain listens and sometimes it doesn't. And so these are really interesting, like, examples and disconnects and also connections that we can appreciate about why our physiology responds in certain ways under certain circumstances, depending on how we're um, sensing the situation. So if you're in a cold environment, your body's adapting right away. If you're in a warm environment, your body's adapting right away. Now those adaptations are, are what I'm calling adaptations. You can also call them responses, 
those responses are well beyond your central nervous system or your brain, right? So if I walked into a sauna, um, my nervous system and thermal receptors would sense this uh, basically challenge to my, that if they don't do a coordinated response across multiple physiologic systems, I'm going to have too high of a rise in my core temperature and I'm going to have heat stroke. And so what do I do? Well, we uh, vasodilate, we, uh, uh, we have vasodilation, we flush blood to our skin so that it can radiate heat and we start to sweat. Those are some of the major. Now, those responses are driven by hormones. Hormones are the way that your sensory system and your senses communicate with the physiologic system that will allow your body to respond to those changes. This is, this is like the critical thing to recognize is that hormones are the messengers that are telling the rest of the body, this is the situation that we're in. And then the body, based on which receptors those hormones bind to, those receptors tell different tissues to do the appropriate thing. It's interesting. That's where I was going to start if you had let it be up to me. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, that would have been a reasonable place to start that, that like this is the communication system. But I think we can already appreciate it more when we know, oh, well, it's the environment and the stimulus that's dictating the response. And then the response is hormones that tell the rest of your body how to respond to that situation appropriately. Right. I think that that was a really cool way to, to break it down. That's just not how I intuitively would have done it. <laughs> so good. it's cool. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, so I think this, this is like, th this is the major thing that I think without getting into too many specifics about hormones, uh, individual hormones, what we want to be thinking is, am I aware of how my body feels in the moment? And is that response a anabolic response, a catabolic response? And does it seem like a time where I should be more in an anabolic state or a catabolic state? And so um, this is one of those things where the, the heart rate variability and the relaxation techniques that we do for teachers when they come in for uh, assessments to the lab, which we still have spots for, which you should come and do, uh, but... but it, it start, we, we see how hormones are signaling because we, you come in after work typically and people are pretty stressed out. And that stress, d depending on how your individual body responds, can either lead to anabolic, over anabolic states, uh, which add to like weight gain and things like that. Other people lose a lot of weight when they're super stressed. And so they're more in a catabolic state. So they come in here and they're in a stressed state and then we activate their parasympathetic nervous system. And so there's hormonal changes that are occurring within five minutes of doing mindful breathing. And we can see that with our heart rate variability. And then we put them on the treadmill and they start walking. And now we put them in a catabolic state at varying intensity levels. They're all submax, but they're at varying intensity levels. And each time we change the treadmill speed or when we go from relaxing in the chair to walking or relaxing in the chair to doing the YMCA step test, the reason why you can 
adapt to that demand in real time is because of hormones. I think that it'll be really cool in the next few weeks to start putting together some puzzle pieces when you're going from a stress state to a relaxed state, to exercising, to eating, to sleeping. Yeah, those transitions are so cool. Yeah, like I think having a baseline knowledge of some of the hormones that are very instrumental in those processes that you do every single day will be really helpful for you. And I think that hopefully you find it as interesting as we do. Yeah. And so I think that, I think that's a good place to kind of wrap up this, this episode so that, you know, start, start to have some awareness of of what these, of kind of just the physiologic state that your body is in, in and how your body feels different depending on the different circumstances, because those changes, those differences that you're feeling are being communicated and driven by hormones. I think moving forward, I think we should do kind of a deep dive into, uh, insulin and IGF-1 because that sets up the the changes in insulin signaling and, and insulin like growth factor one signaling, which are both really important hormones. That sets up having a meaningful conversation around the impact of intermittent fasting and time-restricted feeding. I think we should talk about cortisol because cortisol is just the most frustrating hormone because it's it's good and bad. It's it's beneficial and it's good for performance, but not too much. And there's different cortisol goes up and down throughout the day and, and these types of different things. I also think we should talk about sex hormones like testosterone and estrogen. Um, and particularly in the context of menopause and the hormonal changes that can occur and the impact that can have on things like bone density and bone mass and training and these types of things. So there's so many cool things that this kind of tees up and we're really looking forward to, um, you know, just engaging in that information with you all. I concur. Awesome. Anything that you need to plug? Um, no, I think that we've covered what we need to for the day and this is a good time to wrap up. Cool. Uh, come email Anya. I am going to make a plug. Email Anya and come in for wellness testing. We still have quite a few spots. We've had more than 20 people participate at this point. Also, coming into spring term, I know some people have expressed interest in coming back for retesting. That is a definitely an option. If you've come in, if you came in and did it in the fall and you want to, you've been doing that journal that I gave you when you finished and you want to come in and see what your progress is. Or you haven't been. Right. Yeah. There's, there's good information. If, if you're, you know, if your new year's resolution and ambitions haven't worked out to this point, come see what the effect is. And if you've been training, come see what the effect is. Like, there, remember, your body is always taking in whatever um, environmental changes that it's exposed to, and that can be sedentariness or regular activity. Yeah, and having those two data points at two different times is going to be a really interesting comparison. Yeah, I'd say the impact of having assessments at two different time points is like, it's more than just twice as informative, if that makes sense. There's like, a, there's so much more of a story that you can understand when you when you have that baseline and then you have the follow-up and you put it into the context of whatever you've been doing. If you've, if you've been really um, exercising a lot or it just hasn't worked out the way you thought it was going to. We just wanted to put that out there as an option. Absolutely. All right, so we'll see you next week. Uh, we'll start doing a deep dive in some of these individual hormones. We hope you found that interesting and uh, yeah, we'll catch you in a week. Thank you. Thank you.